Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I'm bringing on a collector that's going to tell some stories, share some perspective, I got my man Justin at 610 Sports Cards on the pod. I've been listening to him on other people's content, and I said, you know what? This guy's full of insights. I want to have him on the show to talk about some do's and don'ts when buying, selling, trading. You know the game. If you like what you've been hearing over here, hit the subscribe button. Tell a damn friend about Stagging Slabs, will you? All right, without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to the show. I'm excited for today's conversation. I'm talking with Justin, 610 Sports Cards on IG. We were just talking briefly about how we met for a hot second at the National and how crazy it was, but how we're both excited to be here and and chat about cards. Kind of the overarching topic is going to be do's and don'ts of buying, selling, and collecting. I've been a fan of just watching Justin on some of my favorite content platforms. So we're going to get into it, but without further ado, Justin, welcome. How are you? Brett, I'm good, man. Like, uh, like you mentioned, we were joking about it, but the, I mean, the national is just so busy this year and you were definitely one of the people I was looking forward to meeting and I met you and then you were gone and I was right back to like talking to somebody else at the booth. So it was just, it was just so slammed. It's nice to be able to catch up. I appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on. And I will say that I definitely had a different non-wrestling t-shirt on before I realized, wait, 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 I, I can't go. I can't talk to Brett without a wrestling t-shirt on. So I, I had to pull the, uh, the old NWA, the pre-NWA NWA, uh, out of the, uh, out of the cabinets and, and throw that one on. I, I appreciate you dressing up for the occasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is, this is, this is formal for stacking slabs. Yeah. I've got I've got my uh, Jericho Moxley uh, oh, Revolution oh, T-shirt on here. So that's clutch. Um, and by the way, before I get in, so I was before we get into it, uh, I need you to tell me the story of your dynamite experience. Uh, oh yeah, Co- Cody in the belt because other people told me about that, and I think it was maybe even before I was following you on Instagram. Yeah. And then to catch me up with that, I think people will enjoy the story. Yeah, so I uh, the the very first AEW event was at uh, Capital One Arena in DC, and I lived um, for about ten years. I recently moved. I lived in DC for a long time, and that Capital One was like four blocks from my house. So I got I got seats. Um, I, I paid up for good seats. I think they were. I, I'm pretty sure they were on the um, the hot camera the whole time. So when he finished his the inaugural match, he chucked his he chucked his strap into the crowd, and I saw it coming at me. I was like, oh boy, okay. So I caught one end, the guy next to me caught the other end. And this guy's like pulling it, trying to jerk it away. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, hell no, man, you're not, you're not doing this. Like, this isn't yours. We, we both, we both caught this thing at the same time. So we, we kind of give each other the old stare down of like, who's, who's gonna, who's gonna budge first. And, you know, I, I just kind of had a smile on my face and all of a sudden I was just like, oh, I know how to settle this rock, paper, scissors. So I just start screaming rock, paper, scissors, rock, paper, scissors. The entire sections around us start chanting uh, rock, paper, scissors. So we go best two out of three rock, paper, scissors for the strap. Um, and unfortunately, I went with the Bart Simpson, good old rock, nothing beats rock. I went rock, rock, which that was really the only thing that like the, the Reddit threads had an issue with. Otherwise, they were like, yeah, that's that actually pretty cool. The best way that you could have possibly handled that. But yeah, I. So he, I, I had great seats for the, uh, for dynamite. I was on one end of the strap. I went rock squared and I was the loser. At least you, you can say you're at the inaugural dynamite and you, even though you don't have the, the strap, you've got a story to, to tell with it, which is good. No. And, and I, like I said, I think that the thing I was most impressed with coming out of that was like, I, I found the, the Reddit thread with like the video and, and just a lot. I mean, there were, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of commenters and everybody was pretty much like, yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that could have been a lot worse. <laughs> so it's like, if there's an internet consensus that we didn't screw this up, it's like, I'd, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back of that one. I love it. 
and I just got, it's not too often. I, I have someone on who's been to an AEW show and I'm, I'm a, I'm a fanboy, a legitimate fanboy sucked in. Have you been following the product? Are you enjoying the product? I, I'd love to just get your thoughts on, on what you're seeing. Yeah, I, I am trying to follow it. So I, I will fully admit that I have a very difficult time keeping up with it from at least a viewership perspective. Um, but a, a good buddy of mine, Andy, who's actually set up with me at the, at the national shout out a, uh, a harm 82, I think. Um, but he's a, he's a huge wrestling head. So he and I talk about it, you know, pretty much every single day. I still do a, a decent job of keeping up with the dirt sheets and stuff like that. I mean, I love it, man. I, I really, I really, really enjoy it, especially reading a little bit about how like evidently Vince is back on his, his tirades about how Monday night raw is just complete shit. And like, he's, you know, he's, he's, he just wants to like, he's rewriting all of it at the last second. He's screaming at people. He's yelling at people. And in the meantime, it's like, wait a minute, this, there's this other product. that's basically becoming like a, a larger scale NXT is just taking all of these world-class talents both wrestling on the microphone or whatever, and be like, just, just do you, you know, we'll, we'll help with the structure, the broad strokes, but like you're here and you're good at what you do because of who you are. So like, we'll, you know, we'll give you some general direction, but otherwise it's on y'all. And I, I think it's, I think it's incredible. Like, I, I do think the legitimate issue for WWE, especially with like this, this whole, I guess they debuted or like at the MSG event, they played the, the trailer for the new NXT rebrand and like Madison Square Garden just booed the hell out of it. <laughs> so it's just like, oh man, I, you know, I, I can maybe understand why Triple H unfortunately had some, some, what did they call them? Heart, it, it didn't even call it issues, like a, a heart, um, something to address. I don't know. He basically had some sort of surgery, but I can see how he's, he's might be having a tough time managing all this stress because I mean, I, I love what AEW is doing. I, I absolutely love it. And they, they use the, they use the elder statesman in service of putting over the younger guys, not the WWE reverse of, Hey, it's Goldberg. Is he actually going to, is he going to go over on who did Goldberg wrestle at the at SummerSlam? I can't remember, but anyway. I, it was Bobby Lashley, and I was there. there you go. Yeah, and, there, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was very, very, it was very forgettable. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So I, I love it, man. I, I really love it. I, I think that they have, um, they have proven that they are. It's not a joke. It's not just like a, a TNA plus one or something like that. Like they, they actually care, and it, it definitely shows. Totally. No, I appreciate uh, the talk. I could talk wrestling till I'm blue in the face. So appreciate the uh, the opinion and background and the story there. Um, before we jump in the topic, I know you've got a, a nice size following. A lot of people who listen to the show, I'm sure follow you, but maybe people who don't know you. Um, the quick hits on just like, I know you've been in the hobby for, for quite some time, just like maybe a little, little brief on your hobby history. Yeah, of course. I, you know, I, I, Similar path as a lot of people um, rip packs as a kid. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm old enough that I grew up right in the heart of multiple junk wax eras. Um, so I, you know, I, I missed the, I, I missed the good vintage. I missed the nineties inserts, um, but I started getting back into it in college. Uh, these were in the, the nascent eBay days um, when a buddy of mine, a um, really good friend of mine, he's like, I'll go to the local card shows. I'll buy like a Michael Vick rookie for a hundred dollars and sell it for $400, like an hour later, later on online. So it was like, Oh, okay, well, this is, <laughs> it's a good way to pay for beer and pizza money and kind of get back into the swing of things. So I did that through college a bit. Um, when I graduated, I, I got out of it, just moved on with other life nonsense. Um, but I ducked back in probably late two thousands and have been pretty much full-time, uh, since then I've set up it. Um, I think it's nine straight nationals now or national wait, nationals plural. There is okay. Um, <laughs> since, uh, 20, I guess it was 2012 Baltimore at this point, um, nine straight years as a dealer. I've never gone as an attendee, but um, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. And, and so what I've noticed about your collecting, it just in scrolling through your page, it seems like it's just surefire. Like you're, you're collecting the guys that, that matter, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a, a lot of Kobe, a lot of LeBron, a lot of MJ, some other like modern guys sprinkled in there that are pretty like, maybe have already won a championship, but like, seems like you're pretty risk averse when it comes to that. What you're picking up is, is that accurate? No, it definitely is. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I, I specifically wrote down like risk averse uh, and for one of our, <laughs> one of our topics <laughs> later on, but no, you're right. And again, being around for this long, it's like, I, I've tried 
a lot of the different ways to engage in the hobby. You know, I've, I've tried doing other sports like non-basketball stuff. Um, I'm, I'm mainly a college football fan. Like I, NFL's fun, but I, I'll spend 15 hours on a college football Saturday watching TV, uh, watching games as, as opposed to NFL, where it's just like casually checking the scores. So NFL's never really translated for me um, from the sporting side of it. And then there's just obviously so many more guys on an NFL roster than there are on an NBA roster. So it's just the, the sheer numbers game is was difficult for me to try and find my lane when I did make the dip the toe into the NFL. Um, you know, I've tried to like, I've tried to buy out whole collections and just turn over stuff like that and do a, a more of a, a volume based game. And I just, I just found that it's, it's not for me. Like there was a collection I bought probably six or seven years ago of just 90% junk. And I held on to it for that six or seven years until I moved like five months ago. So I was like, okay, this is probably something that's not in my best interest. So I've, I've tried a lot of, a lot of different forms that the, the hobby can take. And for me, like you said, um, I stick with the guys I know. I stick with the guys I grew up with. I mean, it's Jordan, Kobe, LeBron is essentially, you know, was past, present and future for my particular kind of age group. So I, I grew up with MJ as a kid. He was, he was God. He wasn't a God, lowercase. He was God, capital G. Um, and then to see the transition to Kobe and from Kobe to LeBron, I mean, you know, that's, it's pretty much 30 years of um, arguably the three greatest players in NBA history, just kind of that I've had the the privilege of, of watching and experiencing. So that's, that's why I stick in, in that lane. Um, it gives me a good kind of balance of different variety to go after, but at the same time, it's not, it's not completely daunting. Um, like some guys who, you know, they, they like to collect a, a new rookie or something like that. And they're chasing a, a 50 card rainbow for prism or something like that. Like that definitely doesn't appeal to me. Um, and then I'll, I'll take a flyer on young guys, but a flyer, I mean, like I'll, I'll buy a Kawhi NT after he's won an NBA finals and a finals MVP. It's like, <laughs> to your point, that's, that's my risk aversion as a guy who gets injured every now and then, but is still like proven that he is a, a top tier player in the NBA. So yeah, that's, I, I pretty much stay in my lane. Um, but it's, it's served me, served me well in a lot of years. And it's kind of been that, um, North star for me whenever I, if I feel like I'm just sputtering or trying to figure out, Hey, is there something else I should be doing? It's just like, go do back to what, what you like and you know, what's been successful for you. No doubt about it. And we're going to jump into the topic, but one more question on this before we do the, yeah, what's up? La- the, the last, like, you know, 18 months or so just in, in that lane, in that, that mm-hmm. MJ LeBron Kobe lane has been it's been a wild ride, like ups, downs. I think some cards more impacted than other cards. Like as someone who's just like focused in on that and in that lane, like how have you uh, measured like when the buying opportunities are or when the selling opportunities are with just the market being a wacky roller coaster over, you know, the last, you know, several months? No, and I think that's it's a good segue into uh, one of the things we talked about a little bit um, in our pre-show, so to speak, is like how do you how do you decide when something and what you would consider a personal collection is is movable, whether it's for sale, cash trade, all trade, or whatever. Um, the past eighteen months, I mean, so I guess just as a little bit of background, I used to just kind of take a hard line stance of, you know, I make everything available for the six days or whatever it is at the national every single year. And then for the most part, like all that stuff goes back in the safe deposit box. Like that was kind of the traditional way that, that I operated. Um, that's still the starting point for me, but seeing where a lot of the dollar values are now versus where they were 18 months ago, regardless of, of actual price point, whether it's a hundred dollar card, a thousand, 10,000, whatever the growth can't be ignored. I mean, you would be, you would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't acknowledge and and kind of wrestle with the question, you know, what, how, how should I address this? What should I be doing with some of these cards that I have just significant equity in now that, that the market writ large has gone ballistic? And it's a, it's a fair question to ask. And I think for me, the first and main question that I ask myself is if I get rid of this card, um, again, whether it's cash, trade, whatever, am I okay with likely never owning it again? Uh, because a lot of the stuff that that I do is is rarer, high end stuff. So for me, if something if something goes, it's gone. Um, because I I do not have the the money tree out back to be able to just buy back into this stuff in the next golden auction, PWCC Premier, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it might be. So a lot of times, if something for me is gone, 
um, then it's, it's likely gone for good. Um, so I think one of the things that I've come up with is just being more open in general when somebody comes along and asks a question about a card that traditionally would only be available for like the week of the national, just, you know, if, put an asking price on it. If we go somewhere, great. If not, that's, that's great too. Um, I think one of the other things that's been especially challenging for me is um, I have previously until the past 18 months, I prefer to buy stuff. Like I'm just, I just get so in my own head head when it comes to trading of like, Oh, am I getting good value? Like, should I be moving this for this? Is, does this make sense? Just all kinds of mental gymnastics that, that oftentimes pre- prevented me from making um, a deal that I should have made. So um, it's important to understand that since these cards are so expensive now, you need to be more flexible in terms of uh, offers or opportunities that might be out there if somebody does come along and express interest. And um, again, I just as, as an example of that. So some of the the Kobe autograph, the Kobe impeccable autographs, and then the Kobe um, fusion titanium number to forty that I posted from the national. Um, so that was a deal that I made with, with Mike, you obviously shout out Mike, you, if you don't follow 0.4 seconds on Instagram, like, like <laughs> what are you doing? But you know, Mike is, Mike has a world-class collection. He was interested in, in one of my Kobe limited logos. Um, so, and he came up and, and, you know, we started talking trades and I was going through initially his just remarkable pace of, of every single thing in there's quality. So my initial approach was, okay, this is a big card for me. I'm going to concern myself first with making sure the numbers add up. So I went through all of his stuff. Of course, some of it was available. Some of it wasn't available. And that's, I, that's perfectly fine. You know, I, I, I'm the exact same way. So I got to the end and I was, you know, I, I had made a pile and was doing some, some math. And I was like, this, this isn't how I should be doing this. Let's, let's reset a little bit. And instead of just trying to make the numbers work, I went back through because I had actually mentioned it to him while we were talking. I was like, well, look, there's usually if I make a deal like this, I want I'm giving up something, something big. So I'd like to get some sort of some sort of rare kind of cornerstone piece in return. So once I was able to kind of like twist my mindset a little bit in the moment to say, all right, dumb, dumb, stop trying to do math and go back through this and pick out what you like. And we were able to to reach a deal and reach a deal pretty quickly based on things that I had completely looked at and essentially passed over. But when I was able to kind of tweak the mindset a little bit of go back to, to what, you know, you know, buy what you like, essentially, I know it's, it's so cliche at this point, but it, it really is just what I always fall back on. Um, you know, that ever the deal made a lot more sense as opposed to just coming at it from a pure mathematical perspective. So, um, it's a lot of words, but for me, the main thing is I do not, I do not, close myself off with the PC fence nearly as much as I did 18 months ago before the boom. I mean, I I am much more flexible and open to talking about a lot more cards now than I would have been in the past with the full understanding that if I am to move those cards, it's likely not going to be for cash amounts just because it's, you know, it's, it's, it would be a good chunk of cash. So just be flexible, be understanding, be more willing to have the conversation. And again, if, if there's a bright line, the PC distinction, that's cool. It's no big deal. You don't have to, you don't have to compromise your, your own collection values, so to speak, if somebody comes knocking for something that um, that's near and dear to your heart. But um, I would say at this point, just be more receptive to it because I think that's the best way to, uh, to be able to replace personal collection level items with other PC items. You, you mentioned those, uh, the Kobe impeccable autos. I think anytime one of those hits my Instagram feed, it always like stops me in my tracks and it's like staring at those things. Cause it's it just a beautiful card. Um, maybe something in there that I want you to unpack a little bit is this idea of like, you know, giving up a big card and getting, mm-hmm. uh, getting, you know, a few cards in return cards that you really like our brains go to where your brain went and trying to make the finances uh, add up and making sure that it's a fair deal. Um, but especially when like, it's the same player involved, like how do you let go of talk me through your process of letting go of something big and getting a few smaller things in return? Like, what do you, what, what's your mindset? What are you thinking through? I think part of it is, you know, what do, I guess there's a few different things. It's a good question. So one of them would be kind of what is, what, what do I have in the card currently? Like, did I, get into this card 
at a current value? Have I had it for a while? Um, and I had had the Kobe for, for a while. And I mean, as crazy as this sounds, a while is like two and a half years. Um, so this is something that I, that I had owned and that I was able to find something to, to move on from. And the, for me, you know, the, the Kobe, you, you can look at my page, the, the main stuff that I collect are, are autographs. Like I, I, I love ink. I love the, just the, the thought and the connection between a player actually sitting at a table, holding the card that you own, signing their name on it and, and moving on. I just, I just love that connection of, of players to on card autographs. But when, when I went back through and I looked at the fusion, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm in a, uh, an Instagram group chat with some, some big time Michael Jordan collectors. And, you know, they hold the, the MJ fusion in, in pretty high regard. Um, and, you know, I'm not a nineties insert guy, but I was like, okay, well, this would be knowing what kind of some of the discussions that, that we've had on that front, you know, this, th this is no joke. Like this is a, a big, 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 big card that would be a, an excellent, just kind of replacement for, for the limited logo. So it's not, of course, and I, I didn't mean the initial explanation. You, you still have to consider the numbers because the numbers are nothing to sniff at anymore. You know, you, you want to, you want to make sure you know your stuff when it comes to your numbers, especially now, but it is remarkable how just kind of a change in mindset can allow you to have greater clarity when you're working towards a deal. And then when you look down at the stuff you like, and it's like, Oh, wait a minute, we're 95% of the way there, as opposed to 80% when I was just going straight math, you know, can we throw in something small and, and we're done. So I think that, Part of that is being able to get something that you personally consider to be equally valuable. And again, that's value is a relative term there in return. It, and I also just think it, it just matters like what, how much you like the card, honestly. Um, you know, I, I love the, the Kobe limited logos, but in the, in the moment I'd like the fusion better. So, you know, we like, cool, just move on to the, the next thing. I've never owned one of those before. Um, and it, it's, it's fun to just kind of keep things fresh and keep things, keep things moving, which is especially kind of true for me now, because I actually quit my consulting job like five months ago and have been doing sports cards full time. You know, there's a few other things I'm, I'm doing and working on, but like I, I'm a hobby head now doing this. So it's, it's important and been fascinating for me to see like how that continued turnover of inventory out with the old in with the new, so to speak, has impacted social media presence, just like how I interact on Instagram on, and Facebook and being able to continue to like, just turn things over, make deals and hopefully keep the lights on in, in my little house. <laughs> totally. And, and it's like, you know, you know, going through that process with an individual uh, exchanging big cards, it's you, you've, you've made that deal with that person. And if you're in it full time and if you're in it for the long run, chances are you're going to need partners in the future to make deals with and trade with. So the trust has been built and developed and there's, there's something to be said about that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and also too, just to know what, what Mike wanted the, the Kobe limited logos for. I mean, for those of you that didn't see the video of him at um, with Burbank sports cards, he has completed the entire Lakers nameplate in limited logos. Kobe, um, Silhouette primes, you know, national treasures cards. I mean, it, he literally spelled out Lakers across like 15 cards. And for him to come up with the booth and be like, after we wrapped up, he was like, yeah, the, the bottom, either the top or the bottom of the K, like this is the last one. And then he pulled every single one of them out, put them in order. And like, I, I will never delete that picture from my phone. <laughs> like, you have to be kidding me. Uh, that's amazing. Um, and so let's jump onto the show topic. I think. I've listened to you on, I think it was Jeremy sports card live, your interview with mm -hmm. Jeremy. And you were talking about just like, I think your advice was like to people that are just coming or re-entering the hobby or like, go to a show, like get out to a show, go to a show. Yep. You talked about setting up at the last eight or nine national nationals. I, we can plural, we can make a plural. There you go. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, talk to like, obviously that deal got done at a show. Talk about the importance of getting out there, talking to people, setting up like, just your mindset around going to shows and why you think it's so valuable. Yeah, I think there's so, especially again, it's it's kind of like we have to talk about everything in terms of pre and post COVID, but especially sports cards is no different. So there's so many people that have either entered the hobby fresh, have come back into the hobby after a long hiatus, or are just engaging with the hobby on a different level um, over the past 18 months. And they've been doing that strictly online, you know, whether it's 
buying cards off eBay, Instagram, Facebook, buying boxes from an LCS and having them shipped to you, buying into breaks online with RBI crew or, or card collector too, or any of those different guys. Shout out Frankenstein too, sorry. But any of those different guys were there, you know, you're participating in some sort of community event, but it's still online. So now that we're starting to peek our head out and, and shows are hot and heavy again, and people are getting back out into the real world, like it's, it's so important from a relationship building perspective to be able to meet the names and the, the faces of the social media handles and get to know those people person in real life. Because I, I can't tell you how many different guys that I initially started talking to uh, just about sports cards and talk to them online. I mean, I talked to probably at least a half dozen of them every day, every single day, if not more. Um, so I think the value of just the broader relationship building in general, uh, whenever you can do it in person, will better suit your hobby experience in the future by a, a significant factor. I will say that, you know, obviously there's a very big difference in getting back to a show environment versus, you know, trying to buy or trade for something online. Um, obviously, if if you're working face-to-face -face with, with the dealer, there are some similarities and, and differences. Uh, I think some of them are, are common sense, but I, I do think it's worth pointing out a few. So I would say that it's similar online versus in-person because everybody has essentially the same information at their fingertips. You know, you can both seller and uh, or dealer and buyer can go on their phone, they can look at eBay, they can look at card ladder, they can pretty much find whatever card it is that is being offered and see what that card sells for, or maybe what that card's history is a little bit, and, and then work from that common information to be able to try and find a deal. So I will say that that is, that is very similar. And it, it didn't always used to be that way. You know, the, I, I distinctly remember going to shows or setting up at shows and you know, if somebody asks you about a price on a card and then they start to scroll on their phone, like looking at eBay comps, you know, that, that used to be kind of taboo or dealers would, were, were a lot more likely to roll their eyes, you know, several years ago than they are now. But everybody understands it's part of the game. It's make sure that everybody's on a level playing field and, and you just go from there. And so that's, I think that that is very, a very good similarity between in-person versus online is that. We, we all have access to the information. Why don't we use it to the best of our ability to make sure that, that everybody's where they need to be at the end of the day? Obviously, one of the differences, if you're setting up at a dealer as a show and you come to a dealer looking at the you know at their cards and they might be priced a little higher bit than eBay, um, dealers do have that degree of overhead, whether it's travel costs, booth costs, setup costs, or whatever. So to varying degrees, that overhead often gets baked into the price of their cards to help recoup for some of those show costs. I will say that, and this is for me both as a, as a dealer, but also as a, as a buyer at in-person shows, you can't under, or you can't understate, and it's so important to recognize the additional value of being able to see and look at a card in hand as opposed to online. So if you think something is a little bit higher priced than it, it might be on an eBay marketplace or a Facebook marketplace, um, there is additional value for you as a buyer to be able to hold that card in your hand, to look at the, you know, what's the quality of the case? If it's a prism or a shiny card, is it starting to green? Like what's the, what's the slab condition? What's the paper quality if it's a vintage card? Um, to be able to do that and hold that card and look at that card, there, there's no replacement for your own two eyes. Like, you know, it, or your own two eyes looking at something three feet from your face. You know, you can get all the camera pictures, JPEGs and videos until you're blue in the face, but being able to recognize the condition and the quality of a card when you have it in your hand uh, can be a significant value add activity for you that goes above and beyond the five, 10% markup, what, whatever it might be that a, that a dealer is offering. And again, as a, as a personal example, back in the teens, I, I went through a big phase of just like trying to buy a bunch of uh, tops, chrome and Roman chrome color. I was just bored. So I was like, all right, I'll just start buying, you know, golds, reds and all this stuff. Most of them are gone. Shame on me. But um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted forever was a Kobe Tops from a cracker rookie. Um, and so I, I scoured eBay. I scoured the Facebook marketplaces. You know, I would beat people to death with like, oh, can you send me some more pictures? And some people were just like, I can't send you any more pictures. It's like, the, <laughs> this is the card. But I was so nervous about like, just like the, even the most, like the smallest drop of greening on that thing, because I just, I just wanted one that was as nice a color as you could possibly find and you could possibly get. And I could never just get comfortable with the quality of like a, a scan or a picture or a video or whatever. So I never bought one in an online environment. Fast forward to the 2016 National Atlantic City. 
a buddy of mine who's a dealer, you know, I walked over and he had just gotten, he had gotten a Kobe refractor in. I looked at it and I mean, this thing, put it in the hand and look at it, look it over. It's, there is zero greening on. Somebody just kept it, kept it in the dark, you know, perfectly, perfect humidity, whatever. And it was perfect. And he was, he was asking, you know, maybe a hundred and, I don't know, 105, 110% of market. But I was like, uh, uh, this cool. I'll take it. Cause I had legitimately been looking for one of those for over a year. So just because a card is priced higher at an online or at an, at an in-person show than you would expect to see it online doesn't necessarily mean that there's not additional value for you as a collector of paying a slight markup over what you would see um, in an online marketplace. So that's, that's something to consider as well. And then the main one for me is how you act in person versus how you act behind a screen or in front of a screen. Um, you know, I, I try my best and I, I think I do a pretty good job, depending on who you ask, of being the same person online that I am in person. Um, I cannot say that for everybody that I've interacted with. And I'm sure you can't and all your, your audience members are the exact same way. So I would just offer to people that when you start getting back to in-person shows, talking, interacting with dealers or whatever the case might be, spend some time going home. Uh, or when you get back from the show to be like, you know, okay, this was a, this was a good show. Like the, de- the dealers were cool. Every, everything seemed to go reasonably well. Great. Or man, all these dealers stuck. They were all jerks. I couldn't get anything done with any of them. It's like spend some time with why that might be the case. Um, because if you find that your online deal interactions are vastly different than your in-person interactions, you, you might want to try and figure out why that is. But if, in person seems to match online for who you are. That's great. That you know that consistency is is good unless you're an asshole all the time. But uh, but still, as we start to emerge from behind our screens again, I would just say that it's it's important to try and recognize and understand that we oftentimes can be very different people in front of a screen than we are in person. So just try and check yourself and make sure that like you're being a relatively good person both in person and online. There's no better negotiation in the hobby that I think than being at a show in person, showcasing between buyer and seller, talking about the card, talking about the price. You've set up at enough national shows and you, you're, you, you've been in the dealer uh, spot. Do you find that like one thing I just love to learn from you is like an experienced dealer is just like rapport building on the buyer side. Like i I'd love to maybe understand like what is the ideal buyer coming to you? Like, what are they doing? Like, what are the things that you like when you're trying to work out a deal with someone else? It's a great question. And I will obviously disclaim that this is going to be different for everybody. You know, I, I clearly, it's funny. Like my, my dad's a consummate salesman. My mom's a little bit more reserved because my dad does all the talking all the time, every time, but she's, she's great with folks she knows as well. She's just a little more kind of cautious. So I'm, I'm, it's funny, like I've adapted both sides of my parents' personality. It's like, I'm a, I'm a little more investigative, like my mom, or I, I lay back just a little bit more in it, like a group of new people. But after 60 seconds of observing or whatever, I'll just hop in like my dad and start talking my face off. So um, for me personally, it is like if online or, or at a show, if, if you come to me and, and you're just like, what's your best price on this? Or how much is this? I'm just going to tell you a number, but I, you know, it's, that's just not really my style. You know, I'd much rather, like you said, I'd talk about things or talk about sets or, and even if it's just blowing the smoke, like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm much more likely to be willing to work with somebody if they're trying to build a relationship as opposed to buy a piece of cardboard, as stupid as that sounds. And I've had guys that come back year after year and, you know, they beat me up on deals and prices, so to speak, but it's, it's fine. You know, it's, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the relationship aspect and, know that I, I know that they're gonna they're gonna buy from me and I'm gonna see them every single year and that we're gonna catch up and, and we'll do it in following years as well. So for me personally, I think I think like we touched on earlier, just the, the whole aspect of relationship building gets you a lot farther when you're actually trying to get down to the the nitty-gritty, so to speak, of knocking something out to buy to make an actual purchase. No doubt about it. I love that. Um there's so much happening right now in the world of sports cards. 
acquisitions, uh, you know, all time highs, you name it, um, consolidation. It's everywhere you go. There's something new. I, I'd love to get your perspective as as someone who's devoted to the hobby, who's spending a ton of time in the hobby. Like, what are some things right now that you, you're really pu- pumped up about that excites you? And maybe what are some things that aren't so great right now from your end? Oh uh, yeah, I. So I guess there's a few things, and I'll I'll start with the bad, which kind of touches on a, a different question that, that we were going to talk about as well, but just kind of a, things that always make me cringe that are missteps that I see happening right now. Just the reactionary hobby participation. It seems like we're all inundated with so much content, so much information, so much keeping up with the Joneses type posts that so much and so, so much of how we engage with the hobby is based on what other people doing are doing. And it's, it's difficult. I mean, hand up, I, I, I'm the exact same way as, as well. And unfortunately we're about to enter the, the belly of the FOMO beast over the next few weeks, because we got week one of, of NFL. So there's going to be all kinds of reactionary knee jerk buying based on, um, you know, I guess Aaron Rodgers is dead now. He, yeah. you know, he, he looked terrible, but like, it's, he's just the worst quarterback ever now. Um, but between that, NBA preseason is going to be refiring again soon. So that's just going to be absolutely berserk. So, you know, we're we're about to be at peak FOMO periods of, you know, everybody showing off what they're prospecting on, showing how many of X player they have in the holster and how they're making money and all that, things like that. Um, I would say the the first kind of remedy to that is just don't be afraid to mute or unfollow content that you don't feel is positively contributing to your hobby experience. Just because you follow somebody on Instagram doesn't mean you're obliged to consume or continue to engage with that, with that information, because it's, it's not, whether it's sports cards, whether it's sports betting, all we, all people post are their wins. We don't see people's losses or it's very, very rare that we see the losses. So if you feel that all your, that your current hobby trajectory is just based on you trying to get ahead of things that you don't really enjoy or that don't really matter to you just for purposes of, of staying ahead of the curve in social media. Like that's, that's not a, go, a good way to, to keep doing this. So don't be afraid to use the mute button and, and the unfollow button. Those are, are very, very powerful tools that, that you have at your, at your hobby disposal. With that being said, this is, and we talked about risk aversion earlier. It's fun, man. <laughs> it can be fun. You know, if you want to hop on the hype train and, and ride a guy or a team or whatever, go for it. Understand what your tolerance is for what you're willing to lose. Because just as quickly as as there's that upside from week in, week out, that downside happens just as quickly as well. So understand kind of what, what your general risk aversion is to just losing money in general. And once you have that established, if you if you want to roll with a guy, you know, do it. However, I would say do some research, you know, look at this player, like NFL, look at a depth chart, look at the schedule, look at statistics, things like that. I'm just trying to understand like, why, why is this guy being pushed to the moon right now? If you think he has legitimate upside over X period, cool. That's, that's great. You know, take the, take the plunge, do whatever, do whatever you're comfortable with. But the underlying thing of hopping onto, to any kind of hype train is, is just, try and have a legitimate reason for buying the card of the player at this particular moment in time, other than everybody else is doing it. I know that's kind of dangerous because I, I basically am just kind of telling you, telling people to rationalize why they're buying something before they buy it, <laughs> even though the underlying reason might be hype, but it, it's fun, man. It's a lot of fun to just say you got it on a guy early. And then, I mean, should I did it last year with like, like some J- Jason Tatum prism base or something like that. I, I bought him, made a few hundred bucks on a, on a handful of them, I was like, oh, wow, it's, you know, just like paid for a flight or something like that. And it stressed me the hell out. Like they, when they dip like 20, 20 bucks or something like that, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like I, I, Joe Bluth, I made a huge mistake just in the corner <laughs> of my room, like rocking back and forth. Like, should I sell? Should I sell? So uh, understand your risk tolerance, your risk aversion. And then if, if you still want to, if you still want to roll with it, roll with it. I think the other main thing for me that's that I think is both good and bad, but it's mainly just question marks is is the fanatic stuff i think mm-hmm. on the good side 
this is the first kind of groundswell of legitimate change that we've had within the, the product marketplace. So the cards themselves in 10 plus years, you know, we have been, we have been beaten over the head with the same Panini products and designs in two sports for over a decade. I think that we have seen that the, the industry and the hobby as a whole is, is ready for, for innovation. Um, we've seen that, as you mentioned, with some of the other recent acquisitions. Um, but the cards themselves, we can probably guess year in and year out, excuse me, product cycle in, product cycle out. Like we, we know what we're going to get. It's not, and again, I'm an, I'm an old guy, so you're going to hear me talk about Upper Deck. Like Upper Deck would take huge swings, and some of them were great, and some of them sucked. And some of them were great, great in retrospect, but at the time they sucked. So we do have the benefit of 2020 vision on, on the hindsight end, but knowing that I can probably design like the next three or four iterations of Flawless cards and be within like 80% of what they're going to look like or immaculate or whatever the case might be. We just need something different. And I think that I think the hobby is ready for that, even though the continued ridiculous demand for sports cards overall would seem to indicate that we don't care. But I, I am excited for that. I'm excited to see what Fanatics does. If it's from a, they try and make their own cards, if they try and, you know, buy out an upper deck or God forbid they buy Panini and just stick with the name brand, but hopefully infuse it with just some some different options or ideas, you know, hint, hint, arenas of design, hint, hint. We're just ready for cards that look different than the years, than the same set of cards from every other year. So I think that's, I think that's a good thing. Another good thing for me is that this is the first time in a long time that we've actually had a definitive kind of timetable of when events are going to happen. You know, so in the past, it would always be with the Panini, the NBA and the NFL uh, licenses. It was always kind of like, you know, we, we talk about it in Instagram chats or at shows or whatever and be like, is, is the NBA license coming up soon? And people would be like, yeah, I think so. And then somebody else would be like, no, I don't think so. And nobody really knew about how like how long, what these terms were to these agreements, how long they last, what just different things look like from that perspective. So like we actually have, and you know, of course there's a very good chance all this stuff might change too, but at least for the time being, we know dates of, you know, tops is cut off at X. Like MLB is MLB. The first license cuts off at X. MLBPA license cuts off at Y. Panini loses NBA. Then they lose the NFL. So like, we know that these things are, are going to happen, which I think provides some pretty valuable uh, long-term structure and certainty to an otherwise just com- completely uncertain marketplace. Because I, I think one of the, the big concerns now, and rightfully so, is that you know everybody's trying to figure out like who is in the hobby, what percentage of the hobby right now is in it for the long haul. And, and you know, there's all kinds of different questions to ask and consider around that. But I do think that knowing that Fanatics is coming in at a certain point in time and other companies will be on their way out, it's it's rare that that's happened in the past. So we at least have some sort of kind of like three to four year window of almost action items, so to speak, uh, within the hobby. So I, I think that's, again, from a, a hobby lifer, uh, that's very valuable information that we haven't had in the past. The Fanatics bad. I mean, a lot of this is probably just reiteration, but I mean, I, I guess it was that article a week or two ago about how Fanatics just wants to be, they want to be the marketplace. They want to make the cards. They want to sell the cards. They want to grade the cards. They want to vault the cards. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power to be tied up in a single entity. And as, as much as I have lamented and bemoaned Panini having exclusives for NBA and NFL, like they only had an exclusive for one thing to make the damn cards. So knowing that Fanatics is, has built a very, very successful brand. Michael Rubin is not a dumb individual uh, on a very kind of rigid web-based business to consumer operation of we sell the things online, you buy them online and they're shipped to you. It just, I'm nervous for whether it's distributors, what, what the role of the traditional LCS plays going forward. It's just a, a lot of kind of glass, half empty questions for me that impact a lot of people that I, I really, really like and, and respect in the hobby that I hope just doesn't cut them off at the knees. So that, that would be the main thing. It's like, I've, I've always bitched and moaned about monopolies within the, the hard manufacturing space. And now a company is going to have a monopoly in, in the entire, over the entire industry. So <laughs> if we revisit this discussion in three or four years and, and we're double jobing of I've made a huge mistake, then yeah, this could be, could be not great. So I, I, 
I just don't know. And then there's, like I said, all, all of this, the thing is the only people that really know what's going on with all this are Josh Luber, Ruben, and probably a few other people in the know of what the 10 year plan looks like. So it's, it's going to be hobby speculation is going to run wild as it always has. It'll just be new, the same questions and new questions that everybody's trying to answer and work through, but um, it's not going to be boring. It definitely will not be boring. A lot of ground covered there. I appreciate the response. Uh, very thoughtful. Um, just a couple comments on my end. I love it how you called out how we have some sort of cutoff start date in the hobby with these licenses. That to me, I'm I'm hopeful that there'll be things that happen around those dates that provide some sort of structure in this hobby that really has no structure. So I love the call out there. And then just on the speculation front, uh, I saw a meme James post today. It was a Homer Simpson meme of uh, Homer going back into the weeds in a Josh Allen jersey and coming out in a Kyler Murray jersey. Mm-hmm. That's week one, right? And everyone's losing their mind. Um, to me, it's it's just you you've kind of set yourself up around the goats, which seems like the blue chip tried and true. I've played the prospecting game. Everyone's played the prospecting game. It it gets stressful, like watching yep. these guys play every second, looking at the box scores. I, I just I'm not in it for the stress. I'm in it for the cards and I want to have fun, you know? Yeah, no, no, I agree. And and even if it's like you, you see pictures of guys that have thousands of just like Giannis based rookies or, or Luca based tens. It's like, I would much rather put that money into like, if you have that kind of cash, just put it into like, you know, two or three Luca RPAs as opposed to a, a thousand, just kind of almost like McDonald's monopoly pieces. Like I just, I, I don't know. It's just not. And again, it, it speaks to what we've always talked about. Of of just you do you, um. So if that's it's if that's how you want to roll, then then go for it. But yeah, I man, I, I don't know. I don't know how folks do the prospect prospecting game. It is it, it is wild to me because like if you're if you are if you are going hard on Josh Allen, it's like what do you you now have seven days to just like wrestle with all of these emotions of what should I do? Should I sell a little bit? Should I sell half? Should I hedge? <laughs> like put it into Kyler? Like what what do I do now? And it's just. It's just kind of like it's so exhausting for me. It's so exhausting. 100%. I don't like to. I don't like to chase that dragon. Yeah, that's not. For I, I'm. I'm with you there. It takes some time to realize that, though. Um, let's close it out with this. I'd love for you to maybe talk through maybe some cards uh, that that mean the most to you right now in your PC. Let's talk. Let's close it out by talking about some cards that are significant to you. Yeah, of course. I guess the the first one just to come out of the national would be that, that Kobe red refractor, the 0809 tops chrome with, with LeBron checking him. Um, that was one that I actually, I bought it a couple years ago and I just, I just sat on it. Like I, I typically don't grade stuff. It just, again, it just stresses me out. <laughs> the thought of the thought of sending cards to like a black box FedEx in California. And then just things not happening for a while with, you know, we, we all know how it works, but I got that one slabbed up and the the fact that it was a a nine, I mean, I wasn't even expecting that. I would have been thrilled with like an eight. So just to have that one, a nice little holster is definitely the, it's a cornerstone piece for me, but it's funny. I was going back through and um, I was looking through my, my Instagram and I, instead of starting at the top and working down, I just flip my finger all the way down and, and work my way up. And one of the things that, that I've accumulated through the years is, so I was born and raised in North Carolina. Um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill for, for undergrad and, and grad school. So I like, I'm a, I'm a diehard Tar Heel. And like growing up as a kid, Carolina basketball is obviously religion. I went to Carolina basketball camp and through the years, you know, I've been able to, to buy or grab at least one of Dean Smith's, all of his on-card autographs that he had, whether it's press pass or uh, he signed some in 0607 chronology. So there's a, uh, there's a, a base of him. There's a, a duel with him and MJ number to 25. Um, one of the press passes like is a, a duel with Dean Smith and John Wooden. So it's just all kinds of cool stuff. And I, I stopped at those and I was like, I almost forgot that I had these, but you know, for me, just looking at those and like not only what, what Dean meant for Carolina basketball for so many years on the court, whether it was being the coach of the greatest basketball player ever, uh, some of his on-court innovation with the uh, the four corner stuff before the advent of the shot clock, you know, that's all cool. But like just what he was as a man, as an individual and going back and, and reading some of the, the different articles since he passed, I, my God, I think it's over six years now, but just the impact that he had and, and how much of an advocate he was for social justice issues, whether it was, 
you know, the, the first black athlete at, at UNC on, on scholarship in the, in the sixties, or, you know, he bequeathed $200 to every single one of his former players as part of his will, um, all of his just commitments, uh, and speaking out on, on matters of, of social justice. It's like every, every single person that knew Dean Smith or interacted with Dean Smith loved Dean Smith. Um, except maybe for Rick Barnes when he was coaching at Clemson. But, but other than that, every, every single person just thought he was the, the coolest dude ever. And to, to be able to go back through those and, and I grabbed my little Beckett box over here and look through them again today. I was like, it's kind of embarrassing that I, I forgot about these, but to be able to kind of revisit those and, and look through those and, and what those mean to me. Cause like I, like I said, I went to Carolina basketball camp for six straight years as a kid through elementary and middle school. And I think my first year of high school and like, I mean, Dean Smith would sit outside every week in the, the summer sun in, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and take, take a picture with every single camper, you know, shaking their hand in the, on that black asphalt. And there was one year that he, I, I came up and took my picture, and he's like, oh, Justin, wow, you've grown. And, of course, me, he, he could say that to anybody. I mean, we're a, we're a bunch of prepubescent teenagers. I was probably like 6'2", <laughs> about 35 at the time. So, yeah, I, it's probably pretty safe to say that um, and be like, yeah, it's true. But, you know, in, in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, he remembered. And just like That's knowing, awesome. knowing what kind of, of steel trap memory he had before his unfortunate battle with, with dementia, where he remembered every single person is just kind of like, yeah, that's. That's my guy. That's my coach. That's awesome story. Um, that's great. It's the the nostalgia and the connection. And I'm glad those are the cards that you you brought up to talk about. Appreciate it. You can follow him, 610 Sports Cards. Are you are we be at any upcoming shows anywhere? Are you setting up? Yeah, anywhere? I think I I think I'm gonna be able to make my first Dallas show. So the um the one that is Halloween weekend, um, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna I'm gonna be down for that. I I booked the hotel, I just gotta figure out a flight, but yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll have a case with Mike, you and with John spur fanatic. So really looking forward to going to the Dallas show because I, that'll be my first one in Dallas. Excuse me. And I've, I've heard great things, you know, it's, it's obviously not as big as the national, but that it's a similar, you know, modern, heavy sports card, a, a lot of folks kind of vibe to it. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. Look forward to it. I went in May and I had an absolute blast. It was a great show. So um, yeah, everyone go check out Justin at the Dallas show. Thanks a lot, man. You covered, we covered a lot of ground in a little time and appreciate all of the insights. Everyone go follow him, man. Have to have you back on and we'll talk real soon. Thanks buddy. I appreciate it, Brett. Had a blast. Man, I really enjoyed that conversation. That is one of the good dudes in the hobby. A lot to share, a lot of insights. And that Dean Smith story, that was something else. Go follow him if you're not already. If you're going to Dallas, go check out his showcase. If you like what I'm doing, hit the subscribe button. Tell a damn friend about the show. Enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you real, real soon.